everybody. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Kenya Collier, where we talk about anything and everything. So thank you for tuning into tonight's podcast. Um, my topic uh, for today is, it's a very sensitive topic, but I think it's something that's really important that we need to talk about. And that is domestic violence. Domestic violence is something that affects everybody, whether you have personally experienced it or you've had a family member uh, that has experienced it or a friend. And I took some time to look up the statistics of domestic violence and the results were just mind blowing to me. Um, According to the CDC, one in four women and one in seven men will experience physical violence by their intimate partner at some point in their lifetime. So every one in four women and one in seven men. And also uh, this website said at least 5 million acts of domestic violence will occur annually to women aged 18 years and older with over 3 million of those cases involving men. So it just goes to show you that domestic violence, even though it's not something that's talked about, is very uh, prevalent and it's going on way more than what I ever realized. So I'm sure more than a lot of people realize. Uh, So tonight, that is what we are going to be talking about. So I'm happy to have a guest on today that is my sister from another mister. Um, Yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to do a quick introduction for her and then I'll let her introduce herself. But her name is Valerie McNair. AKA Queen of the Pen, or like I uh, like to say, the Queen of the Pen. So she is my uh, near and dear sister. So I'm very happy to have you on tonight. Thank you. We're going to have, I know we're talking about a serious topic, but we're still going to have fun because we're sisters and that's what we do. That's right. <laughs> so Valerie, Val, I call you Val, but you know, we, whatever you'd like to be called tonight is what we'll call you. But I just, um, you know, take a few minutes to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. To everyone out there, my name is Valerie McNear. As Kenya said, I'm otherwise known as the Queen of the Pen. I am a singer-songwriter from Willingboro, New Jersey. I am a mother, I am a grandmother, and I am a domestic violence survivor. And um, I'm really uh, excited, uh, more so elated, to be able to share my story tonight, be able to talk freely about this topic in hopes that Maybe someone will hear it and um, it will encourage them to be able to change the narrative in their life presently. So I'm excited to be here. Yes, excited to have you here. And, and that this is really good, too, because we are, you know, we're friends and we know each other mm-hmm. personally. But this was a story that I just recently knew in terms of like, and I don't necessarily know the whole story, but just in terms of being mm-hmm. a domestic violence survivor. So that also goes to show you it could be your friend that's right next to you that yeah. you have no idea. And it wasn't until we did an event together that you're like, yeah, I want to tell my story of domestic violence. And I'm like, domestic violence, like what, you know, and you, you just, so you never know. So it, it, mm-hmm. it, it shows that, you know, we have to be kind to one another because you don't know what people are going through. Very um, true. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, where did it all begin? Like take us back to the beginning um, in terms of, how it started with your, not necessarily where the domestic violence started, but maybe a little bit Mm -hmm. before that and how it led up to it. Tell us your story. Sure. So in my early 20s, turn 21, turn up time. Now we got an ID. We can go hang out. We can go to clubs and 
bars and different things. And I was so excited for that. In my early 20s, I was dating a young man, very nice young man, very respectable young man. Uh, He was a corrections officer. We had a great relationship, but we were lacking a real form of intimacy. It just felt like we were kind of like BFFs who had the title of being in a relationship. I was out one night with my girlfriend and my long girlfriend said to me, I got somebody I want you to meet. So she introduced me to this young man who was very soft spoken, very shy, kind of withdrawn. And you know me, my personality is big. So I'm kind of like, oh, bless his little heart. Oh, look at him, treating him like he was a little puppy, not realizing he was a pit bull. (laughs) So um, I met this young man and I immediately was drawn to him because of the stories that he would share with me about his life. He was telling me about the issues he had with his mother. His mother was an alcoholic. His father was incarcerated um, on kingpin charge. Didn't really have a very closeness to his family, which was like the polar opposite of my upbringing and what I was used to. The type of person that I am, I'm a natural nurturer. I constantly want to see people do good, be good, live good. Um, Any way I'm able to help someone, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I think that because my primary relationship seemed to lack that closeness, and me and this young man formed a bond through his need for healing, I was naturally drawn to him. So once I ended my primary relationship and started seeing him exclusively, I was happy at first. It seemed like a normal relationship. I mean, you know, we still talked about his issues and things. He needed help finding a job. I helped him find a job. Um, He needed help finding a car. I helped him find a car. You know, I, I just thought that what I was doing was just being a good girlfriend. Through time, Uh, In the beginning of our relationship, I did feel like, you know, he was very smothering, not controlling yet, but smothering in the sense that everywhere that I was, he needed to be. But I'm young. I'm saying, oh, that's because he liked me so much. Uh I'm not thinking anything else other than that. It had to be maybe about seven, eight months into our relationship. I came to his house one night. He was very upset. He said him and his mother had an argument. And when I got to the house, I had never seen anything like this in my life. They were like physically throwing glasses at each other, dishes. He was calling his mother all types of obscenities. And his mom was like, they were like almost fist fighting. I've never seen anything like that. So, you know, I'm trying to get in between and break things up. And they're looking at me like, no, let us have it. So at that moment, I knew this wasn't normal. But I'm saying to myself, this probably this probably just emotions just high. You know, this isn't the norm for these people. Uh Um, He proceeded to go outside and take his mother's metal trash can and bash through her bay window and the windshield of her car. And I'm just standing there like, wow, what is happening? She's screaming. I'm calling the cops. Police come. And then I realized that the police know him. 
Like, this is someone they're familiar with. The minute the police pulled up, they knew who he was. They knew everything. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm this naive girl who's never experienced this, and I'm just stuck, like, standing there. So after that incident happened, I kind of took a break. I took a step back because I just didn't understand how something could escalate so far and turn so violent. After about a week or two, I went back. I did. Uh You know, he told me that uh, he had never done anything like that before. It kind of went against everything that I felt in my heart. You know, I I, I knew that this wasn't just an isolated incident, but I I didn't want to believe because I had never met anyone who did things like that or behaved that way. Uh So as our relationship progressed, it was one day in particular, I was at the house and, you know, I, I have my daughter. I'm a single mom at this time in my 20s. So I have my daughter and I said to him, I'm going to go home and go check on my kid. You know, I'm going to go spend some time with her. And he said, okay. And I I went upstairs to use the restroom. And when I was using the restroom, he bust in the door and he just stared at me. And I'm like, are you okay? And he just had this blankness in his eyes that I would never really be able to describe. But it was just like he he was just looking through me. And so I'm sitting there watching him slowly walk over to me and he grabbed my legs as they're in my pants and pulled me off the toilet to where I hit the back of my head. So immediately I I jump up and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm ready to, you know, I was a little scrappy back in the day. You know, I'm sweet and kind now, but back in my day, I was a little scrappy, you know. <laughs> I was quick to, to, to throw them hands, you know. <laughs> now I ain't got time for that because my hands get swollen too much and they hurt. But back, <laughs> back in that time, you know, I, 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 me and him started, you know, fighting. He wouldn't hit me back. But I, my natural inclination was to defend myself because... Right. I didn't understand why he did this to me. So as I'm hitting him, there's just still this blankness on his face. It's just blank. And I said to him, why did you do that? Why would you do that to me? And then he grabs me by my shirt and he just started shaking me. And, I, and as he's shaking me, my shirt is ripping. He's literally ripping my shirt. That's how hard he's shaking me. And I'm just like, oh, heck no, I got to get out of here. So when I went to go, Downstairs, he blocked the front door. I get the cordless, um, not cordless phone, it was a corded phone. Now we going back, now I'm old. So it was a phone with cord to it. <laughs> so he, he, he popped the cord and broke it. I grabbed the cell phone, I dialed 911, and uh, I was able to say the address, and he hung up the phone. So when the police came, I'm still sitting there because he won't let me out the house. And at that time, the cops see I'm, I'm disheveled. They, they can physically see it. They can see the mess in the living room of us getting into it. And this one cop came over to me and said, ma'am, did he put his hands on you? And when he asked me, I look over at him and I dropped my head and I said, no. Why I lied, I have no idea. That was my moment to be able to get away from it, to be able to not have had to live the next five years that I did. And I lied to protect this man who intentionally tried to hurt me. So to pacify me, he proposed to me a few months later. Why would I say yes? I don't know. 
I did. I said yes. And that's where it all really began. From the time I put that ring on my finger, I was literally his property. I was his property to the sense that I had long hair at that time. I wasn't allowed to curl my hair. I could only wear my hair pulled back in a ponytail. I wasn't allowed to wear fitted clothes or dresses. I don't care if it was the summertime and it was 90 degrees. I could wear sweatpants and t-shirts. To the point where this young man would take me to work in my car and sit outside my job while I worked for eight hours to make sure that I was still at work and that I wasn't sneaking out to talk to anybody. I wasn't going to lunch with other people. I would go to my family members' houses and he would just park and sit out front for hours while I was there. Even if I stayed the night there, he would just sleep in the car. Wow. Like I became his property and he would not allow anyone to have time with me to where if they thought something was happening, they could ask me about it or to where I would feel like this is my chance for me to be able to get away, to do something, to act on it. I wasn't allowed any type of freedom. Wow. He ran my life. Things even got worse to where he would lock me in the house for days. He nailed all the windows shut put plexiglass over the windows. There was a back door that had glass panes. He put plexiglass over that. He locked me in a house from the deadbolt and took the key out from the inside to where you can only open it from the outside and would leave me in the house for days. No phone, no communication, no nothing. And in my mind, I'm still making excuses for his behavior. Because I don't want to believe that this person doesn't love me. He has to love me. Look at everything that he's doing. It may not be good, but this is the act of a man who's crazy about. Me. No, this, these are acts of a man who's just simply crazy. Yeah, and I think that, well, first of all, and I, and I know we still have more to, to share your story, but I mm-hmm. do want to, to pause right there. I, my, I'm just speechless. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think that sometimes if someone has not experienced a domestic violence situation, they don't understand that there are steps to get mm-hmm. to it. Like, you know, I personally haven't gone through a domestic violence situation, but I have friends um, that have. And one of the things that I've always noticed with those type of situations is it starts off great. Like the fact that he was mild, mm-hmm. he was gentle. And it like it was a progress. It was it was steps to get to where you got to. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes people find themselves in these situations because saying, oh, no, 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 that couldn't be it. That couldn't be it. And then by the time you realize like, oh, wow, that is it. It's like you're already in it. Yep. Um, and that that's the tough part. And so when he would do these things. Would he come back and say, I'm sorry, you know, I would he try to make excuses? I know you said you made excuses for his behavior. Mm-hmm. But what would he have to say in terms of his behavior and why he would react the way that he did? Every apology, flowers, gifts. He would go out of his way to make me believe or try to make me believe that these things were not going to happen again. And. In the first few years, like the first two years, 
the episodes weren't that constant. So it it would be like uh, sunshine and flowers for a month. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, oh gosh, here comes this guy again. You know, um, he was always just very apologetic and he always used his upbringing as his reason why he was, he would treat me the way that he did and do the things that he did because he was so scared to lose me because he's never had anyone who's never, you know, he's never had anyone who's really been there for him and loved him. And, you know, every story, when I think about it in hindsight, everything with him pretty much was an issue with accountability. He was never taught to be accountable for his actions. So every story that he ever told me was always someone doing something to him. He was the victim all the time. And for me, it was easy for me to try to understand him because when I was growing up, when I reached a certain age, I constantly felt like I was someone who was uh, constantly being blamed or mistreated for doing things that I wasn't doing or, you know, people were just blaming on me. So I sympathized with him a lot. And, and he played on that mm-hmm. to where I really wanted someone, I wanted to feel like someone loved me for me in, 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 in my entirety. And um, that was an issue that I had, you know, growing up. I, I didn't feel that way. And he came into my life and made me feel like, regardless of what I'm doing to you, regardless of how I'm treating you, I do love you, you know, and he got me. Sucker me good, girl. Sucker me good. <laughs> now, I want to touch back on something that you said earlier that you were, you know, when you had your other friend and things weren't, didn't quite connect. And you connected with him because, you know, you understood that he needed healing and things like that. So, you know, you were drawn to him. So did you feel like, I know he said, okay, well, I love you. I love you. Did you feel like he really loved you? I did. And I I felt like he really loved me, but, but he didn't love me as a girlfriend. He loved what he, what you could do for him, which was help him. Yes. Yep. And he loved me. And, and I also believe that because of his ill relationship with his mother and because I was already very maternal, I'm already a mom. So it's, it's normal for me to, you know, if, 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 if there's someone, especially someone that I'm involved with that has a need that's going through different things or whatever, you know, I, I'm, I'm there. And, mm-hmm. and when I say I'm there, I'm there, you know, probably more than I should be. I'm, I'm a girlfriend giving a wifely, wife, wife, wife type treatment, you know. Right, right. But um, I, I, I think that he looked at me more of a girlfriend mother type figure. Because him and his mother didn't have a good relationship. She wasn't there. His mother despised him. The things that I would hear come out of her mouth. And she would say that even when he was a young boy, six, seven years old, she hated him. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, how can you how can you say that about your child? How can you how can you look at your child and feel that way? You know, I look at my daughter and and I love this kid, you know, (laughs) I've just never heard a mother speak that way. So I think for him, 
I was an extreme sense of stability. I was something very stable that he's never had. And he felt like he needed to hold on to me at any cost. And that's when things really just kicked off and got different. You know, it wasn't just the occasional uh, shakes or pushes or, you know, uh, taking my stuff and throwing things at me. It wasn't that. It escalated. Um, One day we were in a car and we were going to Walmart and um, he was asking me about what I needed to get from the store. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't have a little, a little too sometimes because I did. Because I was frustrated is I didn't understand how certain things that were not normal became the norm. And so he wasn't someone I could talk to about my feelings and things. So I, I harbored a lot of it. And I didn't have anyone to really talk to, to be honest with you. I had no one. So I just kind of harbored these things and I kept it to myself. And um, we were in the car and he said something. And I said something smart back and he back slapped me. Now, I'm a woman who as a child, I never even got a spanking, okay? I ain't never got a spanking in my life. Spoiled. I might have got a pop on my hand. Super, super spoiled, okay? <laughs> I might have got a pop, pop, but a, a, a spanking? No, no. Back slapped me with my child in the back seat, And she screamed, and I looked at him like, are you kidding me? Like, this is what we're doing now? You know, you're, 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 you're putting your hands on me in front of my kid? And I think he surprised himself because after he did it, it was like this shock looked on his face and he jumped back like, and I said nothing. I said nothing. I got out the car, got my daughter in the store, did what I needed to do, came back, got in the car, went home, didn't say anything about it. From that point, things really got bad. Things got bad to the point to where um, he was hitting me in strategic places where no one would be able to see the bruises. He would hit me. He would, he, he would say things like uh, to my mom, hey, can you keep an eye on Adriana? I'm just going to take her out. We're going to go for a car ride. And I'm thinking everything is fine. And I get in the car with him and we drive around a corner, get to a park. I get out the car and he's saying to me, yeah, so the other day when we were at the corner store, you were talking to a guy. I said, I said hi to someone that I knew that was one of my classmates. And it turned into him taking off his Timberland boot and beating me in the leg with it to where I still have issues to this day with my hips. That was always my punishment. Uh, he, would sit, he would sit on me and turn my leg to the side and beat me with the size 15 boot. And when he got sick of that a few times uh, because I would cry or I would scream and he didn't like it, he would hit me in the face with it um, so that I would be quiet. And um, I have issues uh, with my teeth uh, being weak because of being hit in the mouth with the uh, boot so many times. So um, he turned into a monster pretty fast, especially the third year. It just, it, it, it got bad. It was the boots. He's burnt me with cigarettes. Just did so many different things to me um, to where his mother would tell me, um, I think that what you need to do is you need to be quiet because the last girl he was with, 
he snatched her bald. And I'm looking at his mom like, what are you talking about? And she said, I said she snatched, he snatched her bald. Wow. And so his mom knew what was going on. I mean, and I know they had their own abuse, okay. but she knew and was okay with it. She didn't like me. And she told me why she didn't like me. She said, I don't like you because I feel like you're too strong and you don't listen well. And I said, well, I'm not going to sit here and just take your son's crap and not be expressive. Like, I understand I'm a woman. I can't beat your son. I understand that. But I'm still not going to sit here and not say something. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and not try to defend myself. I am. She would just sit there with her drink in her hand and laugh at me and tell me, yeah, that's your problem. You need to just sit here and just take it. I took it from his father and you need to take it from him. And I was like, ma'am. Yes. That's that's basically what she did. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I still had this little girl that that I'm raising that I'm, I'm dropping her off to my mother as often as I can so that she's not being witness like she she's not bearing witness to the abuse she's she's not a part of it because I didn't want it to I didn't want it to scar her but I didn't know how to get out and that was the hardest thing ever because she saw so much that she should not have seen and my daughter's 24 now and it it literally change it changed her outlook on men in general like you know she's not trusting she's not and she's very uh reclusive in a sense when it comes to like dating and different things she it 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 has affected her and um this one incident where uh she actually got involved trying to defend me so um we were having issues with places to stay because by this time my family was on to it. They knew what was going on because like I said, he always had to be there. He was always like, if someone asked me anything, he was just standing there and I would just be looking like, okay, I don't know how to even answer the question. You know, I'm walking on eggshells. They saw this change in my physical appearance. One of my best friends um, put, that she felt like I was literally slowly dying. Like she was watching me just turn so, so gray, like so, so dark um, to where before I had a very bubbly outgoing personality, I wasn't that person anymore. Me and him had another argument in the car and he's mushing my head and smacking me in the face and my daughter's in the back seat and he got really, really angry with me. I think it was money that he wanted and I wouldn't give him any money. And uh, he pulled over into a hotel, 73. And um, when he pulled over, I jumped out the car and I just started walking. And he came and he was walking after me. And the way that this hotel was made, there was like a, a um, there was like a, not like a tunnel, but there was a, um, there was a walkway that had like a, a little like um, over, overhang to it or whatever. And I went that way. And when I went that way was when he started attacking because it was out of view. So he started attacking me and he's choking me. And he's punching me in the face. And my daughter at that time, maybe she was 10 years old. All of a sudden, I see her come out of nowhere with this hammer in her hand. And she hit him in the head with the hammer wow. to get him off of me. 
and he turned around and he looked at her and then he went to lunge after her and then I jumped on him and we were all literally out there having this insane tussle and I'm looking at my baby defend me and looking at the anger in her eyes as she's going after him. I'm like, no, no. If, if, if something's going to happen to me, I want it to happen to me. If it's going to affect me, I want it to affect me. I can't have this, do this to her, you know, and, and she became just very withdrawn very quiet, really to herself. And when I would try to talk to her, she really wouldn't open up to me. But I knew that this was, this, this, this was becoming an issue for her as much as it was for me. And I have to get my kid out of here. Yeah, and I think that domestic violence, it affects your family. They may not be the ones physically getting abused, but they, they feel the effects of it. So like you said, in the beginning, it's like, okay, it's one thing if it's me, but it's a whole other thing when it's affecting my child. And, and that does bring up a question in terms of, I know you said earlier that your family, after a while, they caught on. Now in the beginning, your family had no idea. Now your family is a close family. So obviously they didn't have any idea in the beginning, but what was it that they started to how did they start to realize that something was going on? Because you really were never, and you never had an opportunity to really tell them because he was always around. So how did it, how did they start like figuring it out? The control, you know, say, asking me simple things. Are you, are you coming by? Are you coming over? Different things like that. And then not being able to be there, not being able to come. That wasn't like me. That wasn't like me. Or if I did come, he was there all the time. Okay. And um, I know that was something that they started to notice. And um, as soon as they started to notice, that's when he really pulled me back. Like, now nah, you're not going over there. You're not going to be around them. You're not going to do anything. And then it got to the point to where he started terrorizing my family. Mm. So... It went beyond me. It went beyond, you know, him displaying that that uh, violence in front of my kid. It went to where um, he was going to family members' houses, bashing out their windows, bashing out the windows on their cars, jumping on their hoods and roofs, denting their cars in. Yeah, he, it, it really got out of control. And the thing is, is that, again, I'm still there. When these things are happening, I'm still with this guy. Like, the level of fear that I had for him was insane. Like I, I saw what he did to his mom. I knew the things he was doing to me. And I'm saying to myself, like, how do I walk away from this and still be alive? How, how do I get away from him and this man not try to kill me? Because he would always tell me that. He would always tell me that. Oh, you can leave if you want. You can leave if you want. I'll find you and kill you and everything you love and like around you. And I didn't believe it. I mean, I was scared of it, but I didn't believe it until I finally reached my breaking point and things got a little interesting. So uh, we were all living in a house together. It was myself, it was my mother, it was her boyfriend at the time, my brother's sister and um, my daughter and him. We were all living in a house together. We had a really nice home. 
And um, this one night in particular, my family was over, we were playing cards. And um, I just, he, he was drinking a lot. He was drinking a lot. I just kept pouring him drinks and stuff. And in my bathroom, I had a jacuzzi tub. And um, he was like, I want to get in the tub. I want to get in the tub. And I'm like, okay, all right, no problem. So I went and I, I ran the water. He got in the tub and I didn't turn the water off. And um, I thank God that my grandma interjected that day because all I kept saying was, I can get out of this situation tonight. I, 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 can, I can run this tub and put him in it. And God knows I can close this door and walk out this bathroom. And if, if he drowns or anything happens to him, oh, well, I'm free. I'm, I'm out of here. I, 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 don't, I don't have to do it anymore. That's to the point, like, uh, the, 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 that is how frustrated and how done I wanted to be with the situation where I was literally sitting there contemplating doing, like, permanent physical harm to somebody mm-hmm. because I didn't see a way out to save myself, to save my life. And my grandmother came over to me and she said, go in that bathroom and turn that water off. It's been running way too long. And she just gave me this look. And see, my grandma is a domestic violence survivor, too. Wow. And my grandma gave me this look. She, I didn't need the words. She gave me this look. And when she gave me that look, it was, this is not the way. Mm-hmm. This isn't it. So I went in there, I turned off the order, <clears throat> and I let him go ahead on, you know, about his night. A few days later, I was sleeping in bed, and my light went on. And he was standing there next to me looking over the bed. And I'm like, okay, what do you want? And he's like, I'm tired of it. Tired of what? Here we go. Another night with this stuff. You've been drinking. Okay. But this was different. He pulled me out of my bed. Not only did he beat me with the boot, he beat me with his hands. He pushed my dresser, my armoire over on me as I was laying on the floor. He proceeded to then drag me from under the armoire by my hair, slam me into walls in my bedroom. I, this was the worst the worst at that point that I had ever experienced with him. And this is all while everyone is in my house sleep. I didn't want to wake anyone up. I didn't want to scream. I didn't want to make any noise. I didn't want my mom or anyone to come down and then they have, he, he attacks them or something. So I'm literally just being tossed around my bedroom like a rag doll. I have heavy dressers being pushed on me, like all types of stuff. And I'm just taking it. All I'm just saying the whole time is, God, please, 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 God, please let me make it out of this. Please let me make it out of this. And he just left me there on the floor, bleeding, and went on about his business, left out the house. And I didn't see him for a few days after. To have to explain to my mom the next morning, like, what happened to me was extremely hard because she never saw bruises. Like, she's never seen me in a physical state after he's ever attacked me. She's never, she's never seen the mark she's never seen any of that before right so for a mother to see that when your kid is like oh heck no you know she's like ready to go off and i'm begging her mom please let me handle it i got it i got it you know and my mom respected my wishes because she survived domestic abuse as a child wow and she knew that I had to be at my breaking point to really walk away. Regardless of what anyone said to me, it would never have been enough to make me say, you know what, you're right, I'm leaving. I had to get to that point for myself. Uh, Maybe a few days later, um, I was at home cooking and he was outside with his friends. And I said, 
can you put a bo- um, can you put a pot of water on? I want to make some dirty rice. I'm going to the store to go get the ingredients. He says, okay. So I drove maybe three, four minutes, realized I didn't have my wallet. I came back to the house and there was no pot on the stove. And after all of the stuff that this man put me through, who would think that a pot of water not boiling on the stove was my breaking moment? So that, that was it for you? That was it. Okay. I walked in my bedroom. I sat on the bed and I was infuriated, infuriated. I'm saying to myself, all I do, and you can't even put a pot of water on a stove, everything you put me through, I can't even get you to even do anything. So when he came in the room to talk to me, I felt like I was Spider Woman. I leaped off that bed and grabbed that man and I slammed him so hard into my bedroom. My bedroom wall, like cave. Wow. The strength that came over me. And he looked me in my, his eyes got big and he got scared. And he said, I'm leaving. I'm going to my mother's house. I said, I will race you there. Honesty moment. I literally chased this man from my house to his mother's house in my car. I was done. Done. I think back and say, God, I'm thankful that no one got hurt that day Uh because I wasn't in my right mind at all in that moment. I wasn't. Because you had your breaking point and he probably, the rage that came out of you, the fact that he was scared, it was probably like, okay, yeah, this is what I've been seeing from you Uh all these years. And it's like, it's built up and it's pent up and it... (laughs) It's just, I, I think, again, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned earlier about not feeling like you have a way out. Um, I think that oftentimes, I just know coming up, for example, when you heard about domestic violence, and I, I'll, I'll call it ignorance. It's ignorance of not understanding what domestic violence is and how it happens and how it continues. People on the outside will look and be like, well, why doesn't she just leave him? If he did that, why doesn't she just walk out? And so I'm glad that you highlighted that because since it's a process, you don't just start off like, hey, how you doing? And the next day you're getting hit. Mm-hmm. They do things mentally and emotionally to get you to a certain place and then add the physical. Mm-hmm. And when that physical comes and, and like you said, they instill so much fear, you literally mm-hmm. fear for your life. And I think people have to realize that and understand that with domestic violence. Because I think that people on the outside, including myself, because I have, I'm not even gonna lie, I have felt like that at times when, when I didn't know any better. I'm like, why are they just letting that person beat them? Why don't they just leave? Mm-hmm. But people are in fear for their life and for their family's lives. So the fact yeah. that he was literally terrorizing your family. Yes. It uh-huh. is like, that's a whole different level of, it's so much bigger. You know, we, talk about it affects your family but it literally was affecting your family mm-hmm. because if he's doing things like that oh yeah he was he it, it was it was so bad that when i did leave him i would leave him at certain times i did leave him quite a few times but it was so hard because i'm hiding out at my family's houses i'm sitting there depressed i can't go outside i can't be seen because he's everywhere I have my family telling me, he's calling me, he's popping up at my houses and things like that. And I don't want my family to be in the middle of this. And so what started happening was like, my family was really becoming affected. And, and, and ultimately, this was my decision, my bad decision. 
to stay in this and to be involved with this God. And so I would go back to him because he would keep making threats against my family. Mm-hmm. And he knew that that was the thing that he could do to me to pull me back because I knew what he was capable of doing. Something about this individual, while we were together, there were various crimes that were committed that he was responsible for. Home invasions of, of, of senior citizens' houses where... Um, one of the uh, seniors in the house was shot in the eye. The other one was bludgeoned with a, a, a blunt object. And this was someone that I was literally like laying up, sharing a pillow with, who was committing stuff like this. That's scary. It, yeah. it's, it's scary. And, yeah. and he knew, like, there was a time where I was sitting in the house and he came home and he said, can you wash off my phone? And I said, wash off your phone? What's on your phone? And he gave me his phone and his phone had like dried up stuff on it. And I didn't know what it was. But when I went in and started wiping, I'm like, is this blood? Like, what did you do? Where were you? Like, that's, that's the magnitude of the type of person he was. He wasn't just someone who will talk it. He was out here doing things to people. Like he, he was that monster. He was that guy. And so I knew that he didn't have any love. He didn't have any love for my family. He hated my family. Right. So I knew that he would, he, he would go after them. So then to, to save them or not put them in harm's way, I kept putting myself back there. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like every time I went back, I lost more and more of me till I got to that moment when I had that, when, when I finally reached my breaking point. He went home for a few weeks and came back to my house. When he came back to my house, I was just a totally different person. I literally slept with my bat, my baseball bat on my side mm-hmm. of the bed. I had baseball bats behind all of my doors. Like, I, I just, I, 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 I wasn't playing with him anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, things, things got better, as I thought. <laughs> right. when, I started, when I started getting lax, that's when he really turned it up. Um, we had an argument one day in the car. And um, our normal thing, I mean, we, we, we argued, we fought. But this time he pulled a box cutter on me. Mm. When he pulled the box cutter on me and I put up my hand to defend myself, he sliced my hand open. I jumped out the car and I started running into like this fielded area. We have bike paths in the area where I live. And I started running into the bike path. And then I came out onto a a residential block. So I'm walking down this block and people are outside and I'm screaming, please call the police. Please call the police. While my hand is gushing blood and I'm holding my hand. I'm like, I'm cut. Please call the police. And people are looking at me and they're walking into their houses and closing their doors. People are looking at me. They're taking groceries out their car and they're looking at me and they're turning around doing what they're doing. Like nobody's, mm. nobody's listening to me. No one would help me. And it, it started getting dark outside and I started seeing the car lights riding around looking for me. It started raining. Next thing you know, he was behind me. And while he was behind me, he was kicking me. This man is about 6'4". 
He's kicking me in my back as I'm walking. And he's just screaming obscenities at me. And I'm like, leave me alone. I need a doc. I'm bleeding. Like, stay away from me. I'm screaming for help. Thinking somebody, you don't have to come out and get involved, but you can at least dial those numbers because something's happening. Right. And, 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 and it didn't happen. And then this one man, this one man was outside walking his dog and saw him keep kicking me and kept seeing me get up off the ground. And by this time, it's pouring, raining. And that man said, young man, if I go in my house and get my gun, I promise you I will shoot you dead if you lay your hand on this young woman one more time. Wow. So him and the man started talking. Well, having a, they were arguing, and I ran. And where I ran, I ran under someone's shed. I'll never forget. I still go past this house. They have a raised shed in their backyard. It's maybe mm-hmm. about two feet high or whatever. And I slid under there in the mud and dirt and laid there for hours mm-hmm. while I could watch and see him walk back and forth. The car lights ride around and he could not find me. I finally came from under the shed. I went to my uncle's house that was nearby. And I think the saddest moment for me was the fact that I walked into this house and I was covered in mud and soot, hand bleeding, and no one said, are you okay? Wow. Everyone kind of just looked at me, but didn't say anything. And so as I'm showering and stuff and I'm crying and I'm wrapping my hand, because I have to go to the hospital, mm-hmm. and I'm saying to myself, so I have this one guy who doesn't value my life. And then I have other people who don't seem to care what's going on with me or what's happening because there's no way someone can walk into a house and look like that and you not be worried or concerned. Yeah. Like I get, you might be shocked, but at some point it's like, but so you say what something. Happened? You're what right. happened. So when, when that seemed to be the effect of my family, I said, Okay, this is this is now getting deeper than what I thought because not only has my fam have, have I become immune to it, they have too, and this is scary because how am I ever going to get out? Right. Uh, it, 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 that that moment was just like wow. It, it it hurt because I had affected so many people because of my bad decisions. Mm-hmm. and um, they were living a nightmare right along with me that they didn't deserve to have to be a part of. After that incident, um, I went to the hospital, I got stitches. Of course, the police came. I told the police I got a restraining order. That didn't seem to do anything but actually make matters worse. So I was living with my uncle, and I was, I was a recluse. I didn't go outside and do anything. Everybody kind of went to the store to get things I needed, things like that, made sure my daughter got to school and stuff. And this one day, my uncle's usual. Hey, I'm going to Wawa to go get coffee. Okay, well, I'll see you when you get back. So I'm sitting in my room and I hear the door close. He walks out. And then a few minutes later, the door is open. So I say to myself, oh, Lord, he must have forgot his wallet. He must have forgot something. It was him. It was him. He walked right into my bedroom, pushed my door open, walked up to me and said, if you think I'm going to let you walk away from me like this, you got another thing coming. You haven't seen anything yet. And when I'm done, Valerie, you'll either be dead or you'll wish you were and walked out that house. Wow. Fear, fear, like fear, like no other. Again, that's terrifying. <laughs> and, and it just goes back to the point of it's, it's easy on the outside to look at it like, OK, why don't you just walk away from that person? But it's 
it's terrifying when someone can do that because that it's a fear that is a hold over mm-hmm. you. Yes. And it, it's hard for people, you know, to get out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I started talking to the neighbors next door. They started stopping me when they would see me walk outside and say, you know, that guy you, re- you, you used to see. And I'm saying, yeah. Do you know he sleeps outside your window at night outside on the ground? Mm. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And the neighbor was like, no. Like every night he sleeps right here on the bare dirt right next to your window. Yeah, so, so that, that's um and that was after the restraining order. So that yeah. that's really bad. Mm-hmm. Didn't, that, that restraining order was a joke to him. He was not scared of that thing. So what happened was <laughs> I had gotten this idea that of course I needed to get out of there, but I needed to create like a uh, a situation that would allow me to be able to escape. Uh-huh. So what I did was uh, I talked to my daughter and I said, baby, we're about to get out of here. But when we leave, we have to leave everybody for, for a little bit of time because that's the only way we can stay safe. So I had concocted this plan that me and him were going to be in my car. We were going to argue. I was going to pull into the Home Depot in Delray, New Jersey, pull up to the front. When I stopped the car, my daughter would jump out the back and run straight to the back of the store with her book bag. Don't look back. Don't look. Just run. I prayed about it. And I said, all right, this is the way. So when I put that plan in motion and we pulled up that night in front of that Home Depot, and when she, I gave her the look, my baby girl jumped out that car and she ran. He looked so confused. I jumped out the car and I said, if you're going to take my car, go ahead and take it. I'll get my own way home. But I will report my car stolen if you move it out of this parking lot. He jumped in my car and left. I called 911. I report my car stolen. In the meantime, I had met this older young lady who was a realtor who had shown me some apartments. I really didn't know her very well, but I knew I had, to, I had to ask for help of someone that he was unfamiliar with because everyone else, he would watch them and know where they're going and stuff. And I called her and asked her to come pick me up, me and my daughter, and take us to um, a hotel in Bordentown. So she took us to the hotel. The hotel was already set up because I had the help of a manager at the border social services. She knew my story from helping me with housing. I was very honest with her about what I was going through and she wanted to help me get out of that situation. She put me in, she, she put me and my daughter in a motel for three months at this motel. She set up where people would come and bring us food to where we really didn't have to leave and we could truly go into hiding. Uh-huh. And that's what we did. We went into hiding for three months, me and my daughter. The first two weeks there, my daughter will tell you that she thought that I was losing my mind. All I did was cry and scream out like it was this purge that needed to happen. My cry was so precise to God. Remove it from my heart and remove it from my mind. I don't even want to remember what he looks like. I don't want to have the remnants of anything that was between me and him that kept me binded to him all this time. And I would wake up in the morning, I'm on my knees, crying, I'm praying, 
I get it together. I'm a mom for a little bit. And then it would just take me over again. And I'm on my knees and I'm crying and I'm praying. No one knew. My family didn't even know where I was. I was like a missing person to my mom and everybody. And the only thing that I can do was every once in a while was give a phone call and say, we're okay. But as fast as I'm letting you know that we're okay, I need to get off this phone because I, I can't be in communication with any of you. Right. Because you don't want to run the risk of him figuring out anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with my daughter, the only thing that we, we ran with was one kid's book bag. Yeah. Whatever clothes could be put in there in this one kid's book bag was all that we had between the two of us. It was October, November, and I'm still walking around in flip flops and summer shorts. Because I left all of my clothes. I left everything that I had. You know, I, I'm sitting here taking my baby girl to libraries and different things so she can go online and she can do schoolwork and stuff because I couldn't, I couldn't have her go to school either. Right. You know, so it was, it, it, it was just, it was just this huge life change, but it was so necessary. It, it was time. And, and within time, I couldn't remember what he looked like. I really couldn't remember. Uh-huh. I couldn't. I, I couldn't remember. Like God really listened, and 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 He really removed this man from 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 my heart. Because regardless of the fact of what He put me through, I still had a level of love for Him. I still cared for this man, and that had to go. Right, because that know, love would have kept you there, child. It. it, it it had to happen. And then I ran into one of my friends at the library. He says to me, hey, Val, how you been? And I was never one to tell people what was going on with me. But again, if it's November and you see me with flip-flops and shorts on, I'm pretty sure you know something's not right. <laughs> right. Okay? So he said to me, why don't you come to church with me one Sunday? And I was like, okay. And I went to his church and I'm sitting there with my daughter and it felt like this huge ton of pressure was just like taken off of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always had a relationship with God, but getting back into the church, just being there one time was just eye opening. Like, you know, I was just sitting there and I was just thanking God because the odds were against me. I mean, we're talking about a man who was intentionally trying to take my life, you know, and and God saw fit for me to make it. And so I felt like I owed him so, so much. Uh And I started going to church regularly. I started tithing the little bit of money that I would come across or that I would have. And then I was blessed with a beautiful apartment in Burlington. The same uh, caseworker, supervisor who helped me she went out of her way to find me an apartment and it wasn't just any apartment she went personally to the apartment and and made sure that it was secure she made sure that um i would be in an area where it was constantly populated where i didn't have to worry about being secluded to where he could find me this apartment had a window in the back of the apartment where you could literally walk on the roof and go out this back, like secret little exit way down. Wow. It had three doors that you had to enter to find my apartment. 
you know, like she really went out of her way. And then I had another group of people that I had met in a ministry who furnished my apartment for me and my daughter. And I was just so grateful, you know, to God for blessing me and aligning me with the right people at this time. And one of my friends said to me, I mean, but do you really think that God needed to wait that long to help you get out of your situation? And I just looked at her like, what do you mean? I said, God gave me ample opportunity to get out of that situation. He didn't leave me there for me to have to go through that. I did that to myself. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, you know, God is, God can do whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. But we also have free will. And, you know, so maybe at the time he didn't necessarily step in because that you didn't want to leave or you didn't necessarily want to do it. However, I do believe that we go through things Mm -hmm. for a reason. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you love that person and women, as you said earlier, we're nurturers. And I feel like women have this thing inside of them that we feel like we can change men or we can help men. Um, you know, in church, you're brought up, oh, you're the help me. You know, you help mm-hmm. them, you help them, you help them. But sometimes it could be to your own detriment. So it's like, you can't just look at it like, well, I can help him. All right, he's got issues, but I can help him. I can work with it. Some people have potential, I can work with it. And yes, some people do have potential, but mm-hmm. you have to get to the place where you're like, okay enough is enough. So my thing is when that happened, yes, God stepped in and you had support, you know, to mm-hmm. get out. Yeah. God, God was not going to provide me with resources and align me with people who I can sit here today and, and say are the reason why I'm, I'm able to sit here today when I was still in the mess and wasn't willing to get out. Like, you know, I, I, I had to do, I, I had to take a step. I had to put in some work, you know, in order for him to say, okay, Val, you know what? I got you. Because while you're in the midst of all of this, you know, while you're dealing with this individual, you weren't praying to me. You weren't talking to me. You weren't, you, you, you pretty much let our relationship just go to the wayside because this person was not comfortable with you going to church, Bible studies and different things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's definitely about God's timing. And when he did what he did, you know, it, 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 it was this relief. And, 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 and it was me rededicating myself to him. The, the, the prayers, the crying, the, 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 the reading the word, like all of that, where I had so many people tell me this is bigger than God. Like uh-huh. you're wasting your time praying to God. You're wasting your time. No, 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 no. I turned my back on him for a very long time and went through the things that I went through. And I owe all of this, the fact that I'm still living to him. Mm-hmm. So my life just drastically changed. I, I got another car. My baby girl was back in school. I, I, I got a job. Um, everything was going great until he started again with my family. And that's what I was going to ask you. So, you know, you stayed at the hotel for three months and then you started getting back and getting in a hotel and stuff like that. During that time, you know, what did he 
what did he do? Did he try to come back around? And and in the end, how were you able to actually like totally mm-hmm. be free of him? He's not bothering your family. He's not, you know, like how did mm-hmm. that end up turning out? So he started harassing my family again. And this time it was violent. He ran up on my mother and a few family members with like knives in his hands, hammers in his hands, different things. And when my family would call me and tell me, oh, he just did this, instead of me saying, oh my God, okay, let me just go back. I made it very clear. I'm so sorry that you're going through the things that you're going through. I really honestly am. The only thing that I could tell you to do is to call the police because I can't, I can't sacrifice me anymore. I can't get back involved with that. I can't do it. And um, they started calling the police and stuff. And, you know, he was just crafty. Every time they would come to find him, he was never there. He was never around. But he ended up having a child with a a young lady that I knew. And when he had this child with her, um, our relationship, like we definitely weren't communicating at that time, me and her. But she made a point to reach out to me through an acquaintance because she didn't like what to, to hear what he was plotting to do. He told her that because I, he couldn't draw me out, that he, when my daughter left her after school program, he was going to shoot her in the head because I hurt him and left him. And he wants me to experience the pain and hurt of losing the one thing that I love the most. Not only did I hear that same story from her, I heard it from other people who reached out to me and were telling me to be careful. When that happened, I definitely stayed in seclusion in my apartment. I had some, um, some, some friends who came and stayed with me at my apartment who were kind of like security for me and my kid. You know, we didn't even go to Kmart. We didn't go to any store without having these people with us because Mm-hmm. I was scared and didn't know what the heck was going to happen. And it's one day I'm leaving out of the store and I had a minivan and this car pulls up next to me and it's him. And he says, oh, I bet you didn't think you would see me. Oh. And then when my friends looked around the car door, he sped off. Later on that week, I come outside to go across the street to go get some Chinese food for my daughter. And he's sitting on the park bench right in front of my apartment. So he knew where I lived. Oh, my goodness. I looked him in his face and I said to him, you seriously need to leave now. And he sat there very nonchalant. I'm not going anywhere. When you come back from wherever you're going, you're going to let me up in that apartment. I said, sir, you are not getting into anywhere. You will go nowhere near me or any of mine. And he proceeded to get on his knees, hands and knees on the ground banging on the ground like he was having a temper tantrum like a child and was banging his head repeatedly on the cobblestone sidewalk. Repeatedly. Whoa. He was foaming at the mouth. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. He was foaming at the mouth when he was talking. It was just like Rage. Yeah, that's that's just like sheer rage. He was so beside himself, and I stood there calm and just stared at him. And I walked across the street and got what I needed, walked right back into my apartment, locked my doors, and I never looked downstairs to see if he was still there. I didn't even think about it. And that was the last time that I had ever physically seen him. So 
for a little bit of time, it was quiet. He wasn't harassing anybody. He kind of just disappeared, it seemed. And I relocated to Cherry Hill. God bless me. Moved on out to Cherry Hill, had a nice house, very secluded. Um, my house was like literally in the wood, but I loved it. Um, it was just everything that I needed for me and my daughter. Um, my mother and my brother and sister were there with me. Like it was just perfect. It was so peaceful. Life is good. Life is great. And I get a knock at my door and it's Cherry Hill police. And they say to me, Miss McNear, we need to come inside. Okay. I let them inside and they start looking through my house. And I'm just standing there looking like, okay, what is this about? They let me know that he is a fugitive on the run today. Well, that day he had um, stabbed up a couple in their car and taken them. He, he stabbed up the couple in their car, took the car that still had a newborn baby in a back seat oh. and dumped the car at a lake. I'm looking at them like, well, you don't know where he is? And they're like, no, that's why we're here. Because I still had my order of protection. They wanted to make sure that he had not found me or he was not in my house, out in the back, because my house was very woodsy and I had, I had an acre of land. So there were police walking around everywhere. They kept a car on, or a car on duty at the top of my block for two weeks. They still could not find him. They continuously brought me into the police station to ask me questions about his behavior and, and like, where do I think he could be? And I kept telling them the same thing. He's outside somewhere. He has no problem being in the mud, the dirt, the soot. He doesn't care. He's outside somewhere. So my friends are trying to cheer me up because right now I'm, I'm terrified. Like, Okay, see, this is the guy that I was telling everybody he was, but nobody really wanted to believe me. Like, it wasn't that he was just saying that he was he was a killer. Like, mm -hmm. you are exactly who you say you are. Right. Um, so one of my friends, he decided to cheer me up. And we went to um, a little pub in Philadelphia and listened to some people sing karaoke. And when we were on our way, we we're about to drive over to Taconi Palmyra Bridge. And on this electronic billboard, there's his face. I had the worst panic anxiety attack ever, ever. He was on FBI's Most Wanted. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was on, F he was on FBI's Most Wanted list. And that night, even though I tried to pretend that I was in a good space and that I was enjoying what was going on, after seeing that, I was just, I, 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 the fear started coming back again the fear. Now I'm not sleeping. Now I'm not eating. I'm definitely becoming affected by this. And it took them so long to find him. But when they finally did find him, they found him right where I told them he would be out in the woods. He had created a makeshift little tent area in the woods and was living out there for, for about three weeks. So now they have this young man in custody. And matter of fact, hold on, before... Let me back up because I want to tell you something about God real quick, about something that, that, that he did to me. Uh -huh. So when I was, when, when I got my apartment in Burlington um, and I started going to church, the church I was attending was in Wollongong and the church was right across from 
like the section of Woolenboro where him and his mother lived. And I would be so scared to get out the car to go into church, go into choir rehearsal. I would be so scared because I knew that he was around. I just knew he was around. And this one Sunday in particular, I'm praying because I'm scared to get out the car again. And I'm sitting here, I'm in the parking lot, and I glance over to my right, which is a street directly across from the church, which leads over to where him and his mother live. And when I glance over to my right, I see his mother's car with him driving go to turn into the block. And when the car went to turn into the block, the one tire flew off the car and the car just stopped. And at that moment, I heard, I will stop him in his tracks. I will not let him get to you. I will not let him touch you. You have nothing to fear because I have brought you this far. I've I've done this. I brought you this far, Valerie. You have nothing to fear anymore. You need not be concerned or worried about this individual because you have been delivered from that. That is over. That 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 is done. That is not relevant for your life. That is, that is done. So that's why when I saw him that day at my apartment, I was so calm and so at peace because I knew that regardless of what he said to me, what he said he was going to do to me or how he behaved or acted, that that was over for me. I'm, I'm out of it. I'm done. I'm done because God's got me. Yeah. Like, when they finally arrested him and came to my house and told me that they had him, all, I, I, I literally just fell out on the floor and I cried and I cried and I cried. And my little sister was like, why are you sad? And I said, I'm not sad, honey. I am happy. I am overjoyed. That's what I was about to say. That's tears of joy and tears that, of relief. Child, because now I can live my life. I can live. And then I was blessed with my son. And it was just like all of this goodness, all all of this good stuff just started happening. Uh I started singing again. I started writing. I started actually being around, you know, good people. Like that man, what that man did to me in five years was, was, was terrible. It was the worst all of that. But you know what? If I didn't go through that, I am not sure that I would be the strong person that I am today because I have sat and talked to and helped so many women and men out of these situations like this. Like I have been blessed to be able to tell people my story, be very transparent and honest about it and not really hold any punches because I feel like people need to know like everything and understand my, my honest truth. And that was something that I wasn't comfortable with doing for a long time, a long time, because I felt like I was a joke. I felt like if people knew this about me, they would be like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, what type of woman are you? You know, and, and I wasn't comfortable being honest publicly about it at all. And um, 
I had people who, who knew about it, who would privately like come to me and ask me to help them through things. And I was blessed enough to be able to help two people relocate, to be able to help them get counseling and different things as that's needed because it's not something that still doesn't affect me in my relationships moving forward because it does. It does. Um, I'm just grateful, Kenya, to be alive. Yeah. Yeah, because it, 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 at, 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 at a few points, it didn't seem like that that was going to be the option for me. Mm-hmm. It, it really didn't. And, and even for my daughter, I'm so grateful that, you know, God saw fit for us to be able to make it through that. Mm-hmm. And for me to be able to be a better mother and a better example to her when it comes to relationships and, and, and the things that, you know, she needs to understand are not normal and are not good and that she doesn't have to go through. Right. And know, she, she's got the examples too, because mm-hmm. there's, gen- it, 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 there's generations you've gone through yeah. it. Your mother's going through it. Your grandmother's going through it. So they'll, that, generation of going through those things can can end with her she doesn't have to go through it Mm-mm. because she's seen the examples yeah wow i am just blown away uh by this story i mean thank you so much for sharing uh such an intimate and sensitive and personal thing um you know about your life about your story and your testimony i'm grateful that they you know got him that he was arrested that you don't mm-hmm. deal with them anymore and you were able to move on with your life. Um, and I, I just commend you because I think people feel like when they're in those situations, <sighs> but it's actually the opposite, you know, that they're, they're strong. And even in the midst of it, you know, even though you may not have gotten out or you look at it like, oh, I stayed five years, I didn't get out, you survived. Even in the midst of it, you survived. So, you know, just to encourage you, like, I mean, I already respected you, but the level of respect is just like, Way, way, way like you know, <laughs> because even in that situation, you still survive. Uh, you know, thankful to God for for your life, uh, for your testimony, and, and you know, it's a cliche phrase. Sometimes people, and I have said this myself, or people have said this to me, we go through things, you know, to be a, to be a testimony to others. And it sounds great in the moment, but sometimes I'm like, well, God, you know, sometimes I don't want to be that. T- I don't want to be that testimony. Right? <laughs> so, however, because this is so common, I don't know why it's a taboo. I- I'm learning and I don't know if it's something with the black community. Like, I don't know if it's something overall, but domestic violence is so like taboo. We don't talk about it. Oh, whisper, whisper. But mm-hmm. so common. Mm-hmm. And, and to go through all of that to the point that even your family, uh, you know, is getting abused and, and getting terrorized. It's just it's just a lot. And it shows you the magnitude yeah. of, of how much this could be. But, um, I, you know, thank you for sharing your story. I think that this is going to bless a lot of people. Um, I think that people may have li- may literally be going through the situation that she went through right now and they may be trying to figure you know a way out and things like that so um you know we could talk all night long all day long etc but you know we're we're wrapping up our time but i, I want to mm-hmm. uh, 
I want to ask, you know, if you were talking to someone right now or if there's someone that's listening that is going through a domestic violence situation, number one, we want to let you know that you're not alone, Mm -hmm. Um, not to be embarrassed, not to be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and think that you're, you're crazy or you're weak or anything that you're just simply going through something and you can get help. So what are, you know, if you could talk to someone right now that's going through that because you do help people, Mm -hmm. what would you tell them in terms of? steps that they need to take to get out in terms of steps that they need to take to get out the first thing that i would tell them is to reach out to um reach out for help like um i can say that for um for new jersey we have a lot of resources that are literally like in our backyards that we are not even aware of there is a line to call it's a contact line all you have to do is dial 211 from yourself and you will be connected to uh, an individual that will take your information and be able to connect you to whether it's the Providence House, um, whether it's Catholic Charities, you can be connected to a program in which they will be able to assist you with getting out. Um, it is not easy to do it alone. There are resources and people who are in line to help you, allow them to help you. The reality of it is, is that in most situations, the domestically abused partner, um, if it's a female, she has children. So, you know, I would say definitely keep your children in mind. Um, I don't know if any parent who would want their child to be subjected to that. And it's usually our children that, that bring forth the strength that we need to, to, to be able to remove ourselves from these situations. Um, with having children, again, there are resources that will help you with your children, with clothes, with school, with transportation, with meals. Um, there are resources that are out there. Please get help. So that is the first thing. The second thing that I would say is that I, 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 I can't speak for everyone and say that, you know, everyone has a, a relationship with God, but my, my prayer life changed my life. And a lot of times we need something solid. We need something whole to believe in and to be able to uh, be able to connect with and once I really honed into my relationship with God and really started asking him very specifically for wisdom and clarity, you know, to be able to understand how to remove myself out of the situation, how to do this within a way, God, in which I can really truly and honestly be done. Um, I would say pray and be very precise with the, the things that you're asking God for. Be very, very precise. Um, with the things you're asking God for. And also when you're praying to him, if you're not, if you're someone who was like me, who, who, who did not have a great relationship while I was going through this with God, you know, the first thing that I constantly ask God for was forgiveness for the fact that, you know, I, 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 I turned my back on, on, on him and on the, on, on the things that I was raised to believe. And, and, and that changed, that, that changed my life. Um, so definitely pray, please pray and don't pray alone. If you have friends and family and other people who will pray with you, pray, pray, like, 
like you know you know reach out to someone if you don't know how to pray let someone know you don't know how to pray and have them pray with you you know have them pray for you the third thing that i would say is that sometimes we don't see ourselves the way that other people do other people do um sometimes we don't see the strength and we don't we don't understand that you know we have uh, uh, we have this tenacity to be able to keep pushing and keep going and, 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 and to be able to fight, to make it. Don't lose your fight. But what you need to do is channel that fight into you being removed from the situation. Your fight is no longer with the individual that you are going through this with. Your fight is no longer with your abuser. You have to fight to be able to survive. And fight smart. Fight smart. Think about your children if you have children. Think about your family if you have family. Think about yourself. Don't give up and don't allow this individual to win. You can live a better life and you can be delivered from it. You just have to fight and have the will to live. That's Amen it. to that. Amen to that. Yeah, you have to fight. I, I would say that, you know, you need to have a strategic plan. Because mm -hmm. if you're in a domestic violence situation, and I mean, we see from the statistics from your story, and not everybody, not everybody makes it out. No, so they it's, don't. A, it's a blessing to make it out. And I think the more that people realize there is so much support, like just on Google, I'm mm -hmm. just Googling things and they have domestic violence hotlines. And I'll make sure to post uh, these resources in, um, in the podcast. Uh, so everybody can see like some different links. But I, I think that the, if people don't feel like they have support and they feel that they're alone, they think that mm -hmm. there's no way out and they just have to deal with it. Uh, and that it's nothing's going to get it better. But mm -hmm. when you have that support and you have some strategic planning, like you're not just going to get up and say, you know what, I'm leaving you. Bye. And you mm -hmm. literally have to go day to day. You have to do your normal routine. And like you said, utilize those resources to help you to get out. It's almost like an undercover operation. Like you have to plan it, um, but it does, but you can get out. Um, so yeah, the, we'll definitely post some different resources for anyone that may be going through domestic violence. So again, I want to say thank you. You are welcome. Bill. So much. I mean, this, this was a lot. This was a lot to process. You know, it, it's such a, it, it's really, it's a, um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a powerful story. It's a, it's a heartbreaking story, but it's a powerful story at the same time of truly a fight for your life and a fight mm -hmm. of survival. So if, if someone does want to connect with you uh, about domestic violence and also, you know, as you said earlier, you're a singer. Uh, we have to have you back to talk about um, autism because I've, I've uh, had some interviews with that as well. We could talk about that. So you have a lot of uh, yeah. things to talk about. So you know, how can people get in contact with you? Where can they find you at? You can find me on Facebook. On Facebook, um, my regular page uh, is Valerie McNear on Facebook. I also have an artist page that is the Queen of the Pen. Um, you can reach out to me um, either way there. I'm also on Instagram. On Instagram, I am at the Queen of the Pen. That's my Instagram name. And if you want to shoot me an email, um, you definitely can. My email address is thequeenofthepen at gmail.com. So any of those ways, please reach out. Um, uh, again, if you need someone to talk to, 
if you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to help you create the plan to, to get out of it, if you need someone to help you find resources, I'm willing, I am here 24-7. I wasn't brought through this to not be able to help others. And that is really important to me. I have a young lady who I went to school with. I don't know her married last name, but her, her maiden name is Nisha Purvis. And um, she created a foundation called GROW, G-R-O-W. And she is a huge domestic violence advocate. I'm a survivor herself. So you can definitely look her up on Facebook. It is G-R-O-W Foundation. She is also a great resource. And um, while you're either in your situation or if you are in the steps to remove yourself from it, I read a book by a friend of mine named Andrea Lawrence that was uh, talking about soul ties. Um, Soul ties are real. And um, you can find yourself uh, being caught up in one and and not really being able to remove yourself from a situation as easily as you thought. And um, that book really helped me. Um, I I found it on Amazon. And uh, she's a young lady that I know that is very close and dear to my heart. So um, there's resources out there. Please reach out to me. Um, I'm here. Here to help any and everyone, men, women, whomever. I just want to be a blessing. Amen, amen, Queen of the Pen. Yeah, yeah. So make sure you check her out, and I'll have all your links and all that good stuff posted um, in the podcast as well. Uh, and again, I just want to say to anyone who has gone through or is currently going through domestic violence, again, you're you're not alone. Uh, and I do want to say something to those of who have not gone through domestic violence that I hope uh, this was an eye opener for you. I know it was an eye opener for me. Um, that you've learned what to look for, learned what signs to look for, but also to learn to give grace and understanding to women Mm -hmm. who have gone through it. Because I do feel like sometimes, you know, like I said, we can look at it from the outside and be like, well, why didn't they leave? Well, what's wrong with them? Or, you know, oh, that's not right. You know, they shouldn't be doing that. But it's so much deeper than that. And so we as women have to learn how to support one another, give grace to one another. And Men go yeah. through domestic violence too. Sure do. Um, they go through <laughs> domestic violence too. So it's just as a people being supportive of one another. And I also think it's important to recognize the signs. Um, I think another reason why domestic violence happens the way it does is because we don't recognize the signs. We don't, mm-hmm. we just kind of look at it like, oh, you're just being rough. Oh, you're fine. But we don't see that it is abuse. And sometimes it starts off small with like the mental abuse, the emotional abuse. And then it just gradually goes from, you know, a little bit to it's just full blown. So getting more education around domestic violence can Mm -hmm. also help because you'll start seeing those signs ahead of time and those red flags to say, you know what, I can see where this is going, you know, and that could help somebody. So I just wanted to encourage people that may have not gone through this. This is a a big lesson for those who haven't because it's, it's, I feel like one, it helps you with the signs, and two, it helps you to know how to support someone who might be going through it. They don't need your judgment. They don't need your lectures. They don't need your, <laughs> come on, girl, what you don't know? They don't need that. They need love. Mm-hmm. They need gentleness. They need prayer, and they need a plan. Yes. A plan, a safe plan to get out, yep. because they're literally in a fight for their life. Yes. yes. You know, domestic violence survivors are warriors. Like, hands down, they're warriors. So we much uh, respect to you and anyone who has uh, gone through this. So 
I love you very much. Love you more, boo. Thank yes. you so much for having me. Yes, yes. It, Rona made it where we got to, you know, we got to record stuff in separate rooms. But one day, <laughs> one day we'll be together we'll be again. <laughs> So again, thank you everybody for listening to the Let's Talk About It uh, podcast with your girl, Kenya Collier. So yes, yes, yes. We're back. We're back. Okay. So check us out next week and we will chat again. Have a great night or day, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Have a good day.